when is it appropriate to refer them to a qualified counselor or therapist? Great and question. Is that okay? Yes, it is. Um, you do not want to give counsel to someone whose disorder is above you because it's either useless or harmful. <laughs> so trying not to, to do something that you're not qualified to do is important. Now, I will say from personal experience, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly when you have a conversation, probably the first time that you meet privately, maybe not in the auditorium with everybody all around, but when you have a private counseling session where it's just you and said individual or you and said couple or whatever, it's probably going to be pretty obvious that this is above what I can deal with. And then we will refer to professional counseling. Listen, y'all things true. I'm your host, Cody B. Today I'm back in Conway, Arkansas, at Liberty Church of Christ with Jonathan House. How are you today, Jonathan? Doing pretty well. Thank you. Very good. Um two uh, I guess it's not two weeks ago. It's two weeks ago since I have the idea, but a month ago we had Spencer Furby at Perryville for a, a gospel meeting and, and he brought up a passage from First Peter chapter five. Um the text says, beginning in verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he was making awesome points. And you've heard Spencer for before. Oh, great, yeah. Great teacher, excellent preacher. He, he taught me at, at CRC. Um... And one of the things when he was talking about this verse is, is, is if you have anxiety, pray. You know, a few weeks ago, I guess it's a few months now, I was here <laughs> talking about trauma and, and mental health and how the church doesn't always handle mental health well and mental health conversations very well. Um, and I thought to myself when he made that point, okay, but what if it doesn't work? Or what if it's an anxiety disorder? Because we've told people that all the time. If you're anxious, pray. If you're anxious, pray. And if you're anxious, pray. And, and that is what scripture teaches. So, John, <laughs> what's the difference between being anxious and having an anxiety disorder? Okay. Well, before we get that yeah. specific... Um, I do have a little bit of experience in this area and I, I want to talk a little bit about a common everyday anxiety that is present in everybody's life. Uh, and it kind of comes and goes depending on the things that are going on, what's going on around you can depend on a lot of things, even like sleep, uh, stress at work, kids, development, hormones, um, from a from a male testosterone perspective or a female estrogen, whether you know, there's so many things that go into the everyday anxieties, 
And so when you think about just those everyday common anxieties that, that are common amongst all people, you can say, as a Christian, pray about it. My experience, though, from a practical perspective, is when somebody has come to you about an anxiety as a Christian, and they say, Brother Cody, maybe it's one of your members of your congregation, I'm really struggling, I'm stressed, and this is my anxiety. And you say, go pray about it. You know what their response is going to be? Don't you think I am? (laughs) I have been praying about it. So I'm reaching out on a deeper level. So the instruction of pray, which is very scriptural, and I don't get me wrong, I'm very supportive of that. I believe that to be very, very true. But by the time, and and while I'm talking right now, I'm talking about dealing with someone else's anxieties to help them. When they bring that before you, if they're sincere with it, they have been praying. So you you take it to a deeper level of of a hands-on approach. You know, it's like in Scripture when it talks about, you know, if you see someone in need or hungry and you say, hey, go be filled, but you don't do anything to give them food, then then it's like you haven't done anything. That's right. So when somebody comes and say, hey, I need support, I need encouragement, I need this is my stress, this is my anxiety, what can we do to help relieve that anxiety? And so you can go to 1 Peter 5 where you were and, and teach that, and it's very powerful, very, very powerful. Um Verse 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And just reminding Christians that you can give your anxiety over to God, but don't leave out that second part. The reality is the creator, the sustainer of life, the one that has been from the beginning and has no end, he cares individualistically about you. Mm -hmm. And we look at that often as a collective whole. Well, he cares about collectively. But when you change your thought process, and that's true, but when he, when you change your thought process to an individual perspective, he cares for me, not just he cares for us. He cares for me individually. So that gives me a little bit of encouragement. And you keep reading, and you read down through uh, verse 8, mm-hmm. but keep going, but resist him. Talking about Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Mm-hmm. So anxiety is a form of suffering because, I mean, the, the, the negativity that is associated with it. But stand firm and then remember this. You're not the only one. That's right. You're not the only one with that exact suffering moment or that exact experience. There, you have brothers around the world that are going through the same thing, but they're doing something. They're overcoming it. And one of the biggest tools of Satan, I believe, in dealing with anxiety and depression and mental health issues is the feeling of being the only one. Because when you have this feeling of isolation, it brings you way down. And it takes you to Elijah in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And you remember, and we may have talked about this last time, I can't remember, but but Elijah with the prophets of Baal, mm-hmm. and he's, there's 450 of them, and he's like, build your temple and... And we'll call on, you call on your God, I'll call on mine, whoever destroys build your it. Altar, yes. Yeah, build, yeah, yeah, altar, my bad. You're right. And, and he does a specific altar, and the prophets of Baal come out, and then nothing happens, of course. Mm-hmm. And what does Elijah do? He's like, Scream louder. Yeah, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's <laughs> on a journey. Maybe he's on a journey. And, and you see this 
you know, get louder or whatever, and nothing happens. And then, of course, Elijah rebuilds it and fixes it up and pours the water over mm-hmm. it, and buckets and buckets and buckets of water, and, and he calls out to God, and God consumes it and like just, just yeah, instant. the dust and everything. But then when word gets to Jezebel what has taken place, Elijah runs. runs. And he winds up under a tree saying what? I, I want to die. I don't want, I want to die. I do not want to live, which is a extreme form of anxiety, depression. And he's in this, this steep, deep state. What, but what does he say to God? I alone am left. I'm the only one. And eventually God says what? They're no, not. you're not. There's no, thousands, you know, there's thousands that have not bowed to bell. But in his moment, he felt like he was the only one. So this reminder to Christians that are dealing with anxieties and depressions or struggles, letting them know you're not the only one. There are others who deal with these same things. That feeling is real, but you can help the scripture come to life by letting them know you're not the only one and you can overcome it. Um, and when I make those statements, this is seeming seems to be more fitting to the everyday anxiety, not the anxiety disorders uh, that are that are diagnosed. So, I believe that um, we'll just go with like a working definition of anxiety of the everyday type of anxiety or things that cause us stress, cause us. Um, worry, concern that are not necessarily debilitating. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like they don't control you. Now, um, a mental health anxiety disorder becomes crippling. So an anxiety disorder, as in if you have anxiety attacks, if you're having an anxiety attack, you can't function. Mm-hmm. So you're hyperventilating, you're you're breathing into a bag, you're shaking, you're, you cannot continue to function. Um, and there are many anxiety type disorders. Uh, when you become, mm-hmm. we can get way too deep here, but <laughs> you go but, you need but there are are disorders based upon a chemical imbalance that takes mm-hmm. place with inside your body. Um, it, and it's hormone based, but it's those chemicals, the way that they're being released whether it's too much of something or not enough. And it can cause these anxiety disorders. And as science continues to grow and the mental health field continues to grow, they're learning more and more about the actual disorders and how to maybe help treat or, or help cope with those disorders. Now, in the church, first, like you said, we need to be mindful that these things are real, that they're not swept under the rug or, or that they don't exist because it's very, very prevalent. If you're in a group of people, whether it's 20 or whether it's 800, you're dealing with people that have anxiety. Now, the larger the group, the larger the probability of having those with anxiety disorders. And we have to be very careful about the way we deal with people, people's anxieties because everybody's a little different and the disorder aspect, you're, you're going over into the medical field where most mm-hmm. all of us are not professionals. That's exactly, yeah, um, spot on. Now we can be, you and I would be considered, I guess, professional in the scriptures, <laughs> but we're not <laughs> professionals in medicine. 
And so there are medicines now that are available and some that are helpful, some that are, are not helpful, but that's not untrue about other medical issues either. Mm-hmm. You know, you have high blood pressure, you know you have to be on blood pressure medicine, but those some medicines that work for me won't work for you. That's right. And they may cause some effects on you that they don't cause on me. And so it's it's a it's a understanding that we have from a physical thing, from a you know, blood pressure, whatever it is, but we have to become more aware of the reality of it for the mental health side as well. And we're dealing with mental health all all the time, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Uh, and so I think those, in a long way around the bend, th- those are kind of the differences between everyday anxiety and an anxiety disorder. And from a just from a normal guy like me, that's not educated in the medical field, I would say everyday anxiety is things that you deal with, but it isn't debilitating. Anxiety disorder becomes debilitating and can be treated in very different ways. Uh, So that's where I'll stop with that. (laughs) No, that's very good, clear definition. Um, What is debilitating and and what is not? So then let's start with the one that's that's brought up in, in scripture. You said that, you know, if you have anxieties, the scripture says pray, but also surround yourself with people. Mm-hmm. I Elijah was, was isolated. Isolation's a tool of, of Satan as we've learned the last oh. eighteen months for for sure. If we didn't know that before. Um so as a Christian someone comes to you and says they're they're feeling anxious about things going on about a situation as a christian or or a minister or preacher elder deacon whoever how can we help that person well first i would say you've got to listen okay you've got to be willing to listen to the real struggle that is present in whomever's life that's coming to talk to you and listen first but listen with the intent of gaining an understanding of where they're coming from. Don't listen with the intent of this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. It's kind of like when you deal with somebody that's say you and I are, are having a disagreement. And instead of me listening to you, what I'm doing is I'm formulating the rebuttal in my mind instead of fully listening to you with your side of the story or with your thought process. So I think, when someone comes to you, you really listen with the intent of gaining understanding of where they're coming from. Now, it may be something they're struggling with that you've never dealt with. You've never struggled with it. You've never been anxious in that manner. Uh, you've never had that anxiety. But sit and listen and validate the realness of the feeling. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, to what they're going through. Now, if they're seeking advice, a lot of times people come and they don't want advice. They're not falling away. They're not leaving the church. They just they just need to vent and, and let that anxiety out. And that, I couldn't tell you how many times from ministry that that has been the reality of the conversation that I have. And somebody, somebody in this office, mm-hmm. you know, and after the hour, two hours or five hours, it's like, thank you so much. I just really needed to get that off my chest. And I haven't offered any advice. I've just sat and listened. 
or you do that and it could be for 10 minutes after services and they go home and they send you a text message. Thank you so much just for listening. I, I was really struggling. I needed to get that off my chest today. And so that was their anxiety and me being the, the one that they're able to just get it out without the intent of fixing it, you know, just letting them vent. They know that I, 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 I know that I'm going to be fine because I'm a disciple. I know that God's going to take care of me, but I just needed to get those stressors out. And, and we all experience that. And we usually all have our outlets. So, you know, I talk to my wife or, or whomever that, whatever circumstance it is, I can talk to them and, and vent that situation. So the first being as a Christian, just to be there and be present and listen. And, um, and, and then depending on the situation, how can you help? You know, if it's a money thing, if they're stressed about money, can you help them by working with them to come up with a budget? Not necessarily giving them a check, but can you help them sit down and figure out a way uh, to budget better? Or is it, do they need more hours at work? Or, or is there a second job opportunity that you can reach out to help with that way? Is it offering to have them over to cook a meal for, or any, some way like that, that you can be a hands-on approach to help relieve the anxiety? And it makes me think, you know, of Paul in Galatians 6, um, in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So for you today, 2021, preacher, come from a great family, um, from a physical standpoint, you probably haven't had physical burdens that you needed help with very often. You know, like eating or a home or clothes or right. things like that. You didn't need somebody to buy you clothes. Right. You didn't need somebody to buy your food. You didn't need somebody to pay your rent or pay your mortgage. You've been able to have those taken care of because of the way God has blessed you through your mm -hmm. family and through your education, all those things. Well, that's most people that we deal with. Most people that we deal with on an everyday basis from a Christian standpoint, most people who are in our congregations, burdens are not physical. Most people's burdens that we deal with are mental, psychological burdens, anxiety. That's the burdens. And so when you look at Galatians 6 verse 2, we read it and say, uh, bear one another's burdens. And we talk about even a, a sermon example. It's like me carrying something on my shoulders that's super heavy. I can carry it for a while and walk straight. But the further I walk, the heavier it gets. Even though you're not adding anything to it, <laughs> I'm just getting tired. And so mm -hmm. my walk slows. Well, then I begin to, to, my knees begin to bend and I'm getting closer to the ground. Then I'm on my knees crawling because I'm carrying this burden. Well, we, we picture that as some form of heavy something that we're carrying physically. And you're like, if you tell your brothers and sisters, they'll come walk beside you and, and lift it up and you can walk further. You, the more people you have, the lighter it becomes. Well, the burden that we face, for the most part, is not the physical weight. It's this mental struggle. and But the same logic is true. So as I'm carrying these psychological struggles, these anxieties and things, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, who are a family, can help each other offset these anxieties if we'll acknowledge them 
if we're willing to even open up and allow a brother to help carry it. What we do is that if I see like Cody, Cody, I can tell something different. You got something going on. There's stress or something. I come over there. What's up, man? Oh, I'm great. I'm good. Good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. While you're sitting there with this big, heavy load. And a lot of times we don't see it mm-hmm. until you're flat on your face. That's right. Till the, till the anxiety has taken you to the point that is you can't go no more. So now your spot's empty. You're, you're not there on men's night. You're not participating in worship. While you used to have your eyes closed singing out, you're not singing anymore. Or if it's from a leadership perspective, it's like, how come you're not leading prayer anymore? Or from a, a lady's perspective, you know what? She wasn't at our Titus II mini, mi, ladies ministry. Or, or she used to sign up to help run the nursery, but she's not in the nursery anymore. And she's not teaching Bible class anymore. You know, you know, we, we don't recognize it because it's weighed them down for so long. Now they're completely different, almost to the disorder stage, but it's not a disorder, but it, it's, they've carried it for so long that it has become overwhelming. When if you would have just let us know, mm-hmm. or if we would have had our eyes open and mm-hmm. looking for it, we could have lifted those burdens off your shoulders a little bit along the way. And so the reality is with these anxieties, we all have them. We all have them. And so don't be ashamed. Don't feel like you're the only one. And don't feel like it's not significant. Like it doesn't matter or nobody cares because they do. How can we, you had mentioned that, you know, our eyes weren't opened Hmm. or we didn't have our eyes opened. How can Christians and ministers and elders and deacons do a better job of seeing someone struggle with anxiety or mental or just mental health issues great i think that's a wonderful surface question to try to delve into one i will acknowledge that i think some of that comes with a with talent i think some people have the talent to recognize human behavior on a deeper level than others Does that make sense? Yes. Like some people are people, people. Like I'm a people person. Like I I, I work well with people. I recognize behaviors and things. Other people are like mechanical thinkers. They're good with numbers. They're good with machinery. They're good, but they're not people. They're not a people person. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think coming along with that is a little bit of ability, talent. Maybe maybe it's God-given. Second is acknowledging that it's real and recognizing when people's normal behavior changes. So all people have their own normal normalcies, right? So say um, you have Miss Smith who always is at church 30 minutes early. They're 30 minutes before Bible class. Well, then you're starting to recognize that now they're five minutes late. And that is so odd because she's always been, for 20 years, 30 minutes early, and now she's five minutes late. She's got something going on. When uh, somebody is, like I said, actively participating in worship, they're singing, and they're joyful, and they're singing and all that, and then you recognize they're not singing. Not because they don't know the song, but that normal act of worship that was very obvious in their life is now different. 
<clears throat> so recognizing when normalcies for individuals has changed is a huge indicator that there's something going on in that person's life. If they're always put together, like they look nice, shirt tucked in, you know, really put together from an outward appearance, and then all of a sudden they're not. Like their clothes look wrinkled or their clothes look dirty. Not that there's something wrong with that, but just like that's not normal for that person. That is a huge indicator that there's something going on. So a physical change in their behavior is a huge, huge indicator that there's some kind of anxiety or struggle or stress that burden that this individual is undertaking or going on in their lives. Um, through some of my schooling, um, I don't want to get into too much of detail. When you are called in, which it happens in ministry a lot, to have a conversation or talk to somebody, the first thing that I was taught, and, and it wasn't through Christian school, it was through UCA, is you take a physical analysis of that person. Not pat them down and all that. You just look at them and make notes. They're dirty. They're, you can tell they haven't bathed. Their, their clothes are wrinkled. You know, you take a physical assessment. They look very pale. They, you look at them from a physical thing and see if there's something out of the norm for that individual. That is a huge sign that there's something really going on mentally in their life. Um, so I do believe there are talents. If you open your eyes to recognize something that's different about their what, what was normal for that person, something changes, you recognize it. Um, and of course, like the obvious is if they're no longer present, you know, if, if it's all of a sudden they're absent, there's, there's really something going on. Now you asked, how can we be better from a leadership perspective, elders, deacons, preachers, ministers, um, or even just brothers and sisters in, in the church is one, recognize whether you have that ability or not. Um, in a leadership team, and just this is just Jonathan, but from my perspective in a congregational setting, the leadership team is the elders, deacons, and ministers. Mm -hmm. The ministers are part of that leadership team. Now, we don't carry the role of an elder right. or the role of a deacon, kind of a deacon, but but we are part of those conversations. With Amongst that team, self-realization is important. So if your eldership is an eldership that is mechanical-focused, like they're numbers people, they're not a people person, but you are, work together. I have lived that. Um, years ago, when we had a particular eldership, uh, a couple of them came to me and said, Jonathan, we, you see things that we don't see. You recognize things that we don't recognize. Our, our minds don't work that way. So if you ever see a, a member or, that you can tell is struggling, come and tell us. Tell us that, hey, so-and-so doesn't, I don't know what it is, something just doesn't seem right. They need a little encouragement because they wouldn't recognize it, but they knew that I might. So the communication between the leadership and they would go and, you know, I would do it too, but having the eldership come and say, hey, you doing okay? Yeah, everything's fine. And so just self-awareness of what your ability is in reading people is important. 
and working together within the leadership team to recognize those things. Those are a few things. Um, other things I would suggest is having concerted Bible study and classes over these topics. They are talked about in Scripture. Mm-hmm. To, to have um, sermons or Bible classes for the adults that recognize mental health within the Scriptures and how to apply ministry inside those mental health issues that might be present in your congregation that I'm pretty much can guarantee are present in your conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to make Scripture come to life in real life, not just here's what it says, mm-hmm. but how can we make it real now? I think those are ways that can really benefit a congregation. Those are excellent thoughts, Jonathan. Um, my next question is, we, we've talked about the difference between having everyday anxieties and, and having anxiety disorder. Um, as, as a minister who does a lot of counseling, when, when do you realize you're not qualified? Yes. And when is it appropriate to refer them to a qualified counselor or therapist? Great is that okay? Yes, it is. Um, You do not want to give counsel to someone whose disorder is above you because it's either useless or harmful. (laughs) So trying not to, to do something that you're not qualified to do is important. Now, I will say from personal experience, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly when you have a conversation, probably the first time that you meet privately, maybe not in the auditorium with everybody all around, but when you have a private counseling session where it's just you and said individual or you and said couple or whatever, it's probably going to be pretty obvious that this is above what I can deal with. And then we will refer to professional counseling or psychotic counseling. You know, a psychiatrist is different than a doctorate of psychology. And the difference is a psychiatrist can prescribe medication and a counselor with a doctorate cannot prescribe medication. Uh, So what I do is I listen and talk as well as I can and then say, I think that you need to go see so-and-so. And And there are Christian-based, faith-based companies in the world that provide a faith-based instruction and some with medication and things like that, that we refer to in the community. Um, I can't say when it hits this point, then it's time to go because all circumstances are different. And if you are in that conversation and you ever feel uncomfortable or you ever feel like I have no idea, don't try to make something up. Uh, I think we have a problem in the church with that when people, not about counseling, but when people ask biblical questions and we don't really have a clear-cut answer, we try to make it up. And I think that that is much more harmful (laughs) than it is just saying, I can't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know the answer. Because people see right through it. Oh, yeah. And then they no longer trust you. At all. And and so in the same way in counseling, they can bring something to you and be like, I don't really know how to deal with this issue. This is above me. Let me refer you to this company and and help them churches is this on help them churches because those 
those um, places that you send, the clinical places you send them to are not free. So people will not go because they feel like they can't afford it. And if you have a member in your congregation that needed to go to the emergency room and said, I can't go because I can't afford it, you would pay for it. The church would pay for it. Offer that help financially if that those people can't afford that or they don't have insurance that covers mental health. Figure out a way to help those individuals get the help that they need because it is vital to them physically, but it's also vital to them spiritually and the eternal outcome that could lead if it could lead to if those issues are not addressed and taken care of. So I think it's important to support in whatever way that we can um, the mental health wellness. And, and and that's important because hey, you said, you know, if they, they, if they need an emergency room, you would pay for it hands down. There are mental disorders that can be physically dangerous as well. Huh. Uh, uh-huh. And it's important for them to get the, the mental health they need to stop that from taking place. You and I know people that have been in the emergency room because of a mental health thing. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, you know, hyperventilating or an anxiety attack or whether it be cutting. Yes. Or whether it be attempted suicide. Yes. That's a mental issue. And if you have somebody that is threatening suicide, you call the authorities and they come and get them and take them to the hospital and put them on the mental ward. Or in the mental ward, the it's mental health issues. So um, those are emergencies um, in, in in dealing with with people. So I think we should be acknowledge that it's real, and help in whatever way that we can. And if it's it's something that we can help, where they just need to vent, and we might can give a little uh, scriptural encouragement, do so. If we recognize that it is outside of what we're able to help with refer them to a, a place and get them help them assist them to get the help that they need uh, is very very important and have a leadership team that is on board that is understanding whether whether or not they have the education to understand it but but have an understanding that these things are real if that makes sense it does well we've talked about go back we're going going back to the anxiety mm-hmm. anxiety disorder conversation um we, we've talked about as a Christian when we see another Christian recognize that they have an issue whether it's anxiety or some other mental health uh, aspect that they need help with how do we recognize that in ourselves I, mm, I think that most people know it but are they willing to acknowledge that they know it because we're taught a lot of us have been taught that those are weaknesses in character if you have anxiety or you stress or you have a form of depression that's just a weakness in your character pull up your bootstraps get over it type thing not the case now there are things where we just need to get over but that's outside of anxiety and depression there are some things it's time to grow up son you got fired, get over it, go get a job. You didn't make the team, practice harder, get better, try out again next year. There are those type of things. But when we're talking about anxiety and depression and things, most of us know it. But one way to recognize it is maybe if our moods are changing or, or wishy-washy up and down, 
And like I said, I may have said this in the beginning, I can't remember. One of the biggest is being extraordinarily tired. So I can't, and, and being tired is a sign of a bunch of things, but I, I'm sleeping my normal hours, but I still feel exhausted when I get up. Now there can be other health issues going on. That could be hormonal related. That could be, you may have sleep apnea, you know, it could be all kinds of stuff. But if that that is a sign that you're dealing with some mental health struggles is I'm just exhausted all the time. Um, if you have a lack of ambition where you used to have, you were more ambitious. Um, and so you lose that, that get up and go. You, you lose, and that, that's a sign of, of, of a mental health struggle. Um, now, from an adult perspective, from a, from a marital perspective, we're talking to adults who are married right now. A loss in sex drive is a sign. Um, and there, that's a sign of other things, too, you know. But it, you recognize these type of things uh, in yourself are big indicators of some form of mental anxiety or form of depression that's going on in your life. Very good thoughts. Um, <laughs> I sing a lot. You, you may know that. You may know that, not know that. I, I, I sing in the car. I sing in, in the office. I, I sing all, all the time. Me too. And, and one of the signs that my wife realizes there's something wrong is I'll be cooking in the kitchen or outside grilling and she won't hear me sing, and she'll come say, why aren't you singing in the kitchen? What's wrong? <laughs> yeah. How do we address when it's someone close to us and we start seeing those changes? Because when there's something wrong with me, my wife's the first person to see Absolutely, it. yeah. You know, the spouses are the first one to usually recognize that. So when it's not just a Christian brother or sister, but when it's a husband, when it's a wife, when it's our parents, when it's our, our, our physical brothers, sisters, people that were close with friends, and we see these changes, how do we approach them? The first thing that I will say to that is you have to approach sincerely. So, it, it, you know, like your wife recognizes something new. She's like, babe, what's going on? I feel like maybe there's something going on. It's not like, what's wrong with you? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It is a recognition in a caring way that there might be something different because you, your behaviors change. You know, what's going on? Are you okay? But, but, but the way that you approach them has a huge uh, impact on whether or not you're going to be able to help. Um, second is to acknowledge it, not to act like it's not there, which is what we do. <laughs> um, we act like, oh, that, or we, we brush it off saying, no, they just had a bad day or they're off day or maybe, they're, maybe his throat's sore, you know. Maybe he got choked on the smoke from the grill, you know, something that just overlooking it or passing it off as nothing. So acknowledging it and then acknowledging it in a way where the individual that you have a relationship with, whether it be spouse, child, parent, brother, coworker, whatever, rec acknowledging it to them and bringing it up to them in a way that is a caring, like you really are concerned, not attacking. If that makes sense to you, it does. Yeah. It does. Uh, just, just two final questions. Okay. Uh, first one: um, you, we're in Central Arkansas. Me yes. and you are. We're, we're in the Conway area, Perryville, Little Rock. Um, is there a? You said it. You said you knew of a company that you would refer people to. Is there a therapist? Is there a company that you would ref, you would ask ministers to 
refer uh, counseling cases they don't know how to handle to? Is there one you particularly like or prefer? Um, Trust? There are. There are. But I think it's more individualistic, so I'm not going to put it out there. Okay. Like, for yeah, way okay. out there. I don't want to advertise because then my name's associated to it, and if it okay. doesn't work well, then, you know. But I have. I do. And I would do that privately. Okay. You know, if you ever had a, somebody okay. text me and I can yeah, give you the info. Get yeah, old John. He's on, he's on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, you could probably find his email on his church address, on church website or mm-hmm. something. Um, and like always, if you have any questions, you can email me at the Prairieville, Prairieville uh, COC at gmail.com and, and I can send forward them right to Jonathan. Um, so, any other final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, with these type of topics, I love talking about them, of course. Um, I think there is room in the in our churches to minister to people dealing with mental health issues. And I think that it is a ministry that is very much so not been tapped into. And when we talk about the well-being of our congregations, this is something we have to address and minister to. Um, We understand that our great commission that Jesus gave his disciples is to go out into the world and preach the gospel and bring people to him. But we are also commanded to take care of the needs of the saints. Uh, first, Paul even says, do that first and then go out. And so I call it an inward and outward ministry. So we help the ones who are in and reach out to those who are out. So in both cases, inward and outward ministry, mental health is a part of ministry that has not been tapped into very well, I think. And so for us to acknowledge it and to discuss it and to let, let scripture teach how to deal with those things is is vitally, vitally important to the health and well-being of congregations. Um, and so we have to be better. Um, and if that means your leadership teams need to be uh, trained or taught by someone who has some experience in that way, figure it out and get that training um, if it's workshops that you need to have, like a leadership workshop, or if, if y'all, if your congregation does um, a leadership retreat, that could be the focus of the leadership retreat. And within those lessons with the leadership, you can talk about, you know, family health and how to how to minister or recognize mental health with husbands or wives or ch- teenagers, which is a huge deal, which I'm sure you'll do a whole other podcast on that, the mental health that is going on with our teens and, and even younger Um, And so I think we have to acknowledge it and address it and incorporate it into our ministries and our churches will be blessed by it. Very good. Thank you so much for listening to All Things True. If you have any questions, you can email them at perryvillecoc at gmail.com. That's perryvillecoc at gmail.com. And remember, love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things.